Hi, welcome to Unfiltered Faith Podcast, a podcast where we have discussions, conversations, and tell stories about faith. This is the first episode of the podcast, and if you're here, it's probably because you've seen a short film we did and posted on Unfiltered Faith TV called Paul. And in that short film, just in case you haven't seen it, well, firstly, if you haven't seen it, you should definitely go on Unfiltered Faith TV on Instagram or Facebook and check it out for yourself. But just in case you haven't seen it, Paul Anthony Turner is the main character in this short film that we interviewed. And Paul is a gay Christian pastor, or at least went to school for being a pastor. And in this interview, we have a conversation with him where he talks about his journey of faith, talks about his journey of being a gay man, but also being a gay Christian man, and also being a gay Christian man who wants to be a pastor. He talks a little bit about his theological stance. He responds and reacts to some problematic Christian rhetoric. He also talks about his upbringing and how he got to the place he is at right now. Now, this episode is an extended version of that interview. Now, if you obviously have seen the Paul short film, some of this is going to be redundant, but there's also a lot of good insights and moments in this podcast edition. The second episode on your feed after this episode is an extended interview that we did just a few days ago of Paul and what he's up to right now. To clarify, the interview you're about to hear right now was done months ago, as well as the short film we just released. But a few days ago, we actually had another conversation, a Zoom chat with Paul, and he gives us an update about his life. Is he pastoring? Um, What is he planning on doing with his life? And he also goes in depth of his kind of theological stance, and he talks more about how he feels about how the church has handled this whole space, this whole conversation. So it's a really great insight. So after you listen to this episode, I'm really gonna encourage you to check out the second episode uh, on your feed. It's a little longer, but there's a lot of great stuff in it. That being said, please enjoy this episode of Paul, A Thorn in the Flesh, extended podcast version. God bless. My name is Paul Anthony Turner. I am Christian, I am celibate, and I am gay. Um, why are you celibate? Well, when I read the Bible, it seems to me that God does not allow for gay marriage or gay sex. And because I love God and because I want to remain true to my convictions, I remain celibate. I first became aware of this thing called being gay when I was in elementary school because I remember, especially growing up in the, the, the community I grew up in, 
on going to school where I went um, and uh, having the friends that I had, it was not uncommon to hear people throw out jokes about, oh, you're gay because you do a certain kind of thing or you dress a certain kind of way or you said a particular kind of a phrase or sentence or whatever. And so that was my first interaction with being, being gay. And being the, the fact that I was actually gay as a small child and I had some what you might call flamboyant or expressive tendencies and still do, um, I would get teased about it. And so, and even I, I grew accustomed to throwing it back because I didn't really exactly understand what it was I maybe had a slight idea that it was about you liking other guys or if you were a girl liking other girls, but I didn't really understand what it meant. And growing up, I remember being called fag and there were a couple instances where I was even bullied um, throughout my elementary school years. Um, I don't remember a lot of it, honestly, and it might be trauma that I kind of bottled up, but definitely I remember being made fun of for being being gay and not even knowing what that was. So um, a couple of things can definitely be said as being true for queer people's experiences. And that's one, that we are definitely awesome people. And two, that oppression does mark our experience. Um, the fact that we are even labeled as queer people or even identified or categorized as such is because of the heteronormative um, culture that dominates our society. And a lot of people don't, a lot of straight people take for granted that society is shaped and organized for them to succeed and to feel comfortable. But in order for them to succeed and feel comfortable, it has come at the expense of the discomfort of, of, of queer people being uncomfortable and feeling like they don't have a place to, to operate in the society. And I've had several instances of this happening not only in my younger years, but even in my later years, within the last few years since I started um, going into my pastoral role, working as a pastor a few summers ago. The first time ever I really worked as a pastor, I shared my testimony with the young adults and the youth of the church. And there was a lot of backlash from the leaders, the leadership of the church. And it wasn't over the methodology of, you know, when and where and how to share the testimony, but over sharing my testimony at all. It's this taboo topic that we don't get to talk about because being gay is this, you're really messed up inside. And actually someone said the reason why I shouldn't have shared my testimony with the kids was because I would pervert their pure minds. That's literally what he said, that I would pervert their pure minds. And from there, there was a lot of gossip that went around the church, um, a lot of stories getting back getting back to me later on about things that I had said but actually hadn't said and it got so bad to the point that I had to talk to the administration in my my conference in order to smooth things out so queer people definitely undergo a lot of pressure 
um, in the church and in society at large. That being said, what made you want to go into pastoral ministry? So I was originally studying to be a wellness practitioner because I wanted to care for the, the well-being of people. But in around October, November of 2013, when I was studying at college my, during my undergrad years, it became very clear to me through a series of events that I was supposed to be a pastor. And this came by you know, people randomly coming up to me and saying, yo, Pastor Paul, how's it going? Or people who knew I was studying theology, I was studying health and wellness coming up and asking, how is your, how are your theology studies going? And it's like, wait, I've only ever studied health and wellness. Why are you asking that all of a sudden? And so during a four, three or four day time span, I was getting all of these different words. And it seemed to affirm to me that God was calling me to pastoral ministry. It was not something I would have called myself to. And even as I think about it still, it's pretty crazy to think that God would call, you know, call me to do it, but here I am. Growing up, I never, never once, in all honesty, never felt disconnected from God. I never felt that God didn't love me. I never felt like I was under his wrath. I never sensed God being distant or far, far away from me. He, he was always very close to me. My relationship with Jesus has always been strong. It's always been something that I've wanted to go after. And there's only been one time in my life thus far, um, and prayerfully the only time in my life, where I felt that God didn't love me or that it was very hard to believe that he did. That was during my undergraduate years where I fell in love with one of my closest friends. And I had just come out of the closet within maybe a year or less of this particular time when I found out that I had fallen in love with this friend. And of course, because of my convictions, I'm not gonna take that anywhere. But there I was feeling all these different kinds of feelings and feeling that, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do with all these different emotions. And I begged God several times, you know, to take away these feelings. Like I, I legitimately went through an existential crisis where I even at one point considered um, leaving the church, leaving my faith altogether because I didn't know how to balance feeling these feelings for my friend, but not being able to act on them, but feeling trapped in my body, feeling trapped in my, in my soul as it were and not knowing what to do about that. And so for about eight months, it was um, a time span of May um, to about late October or so, or so December actually. And I would lay in my bed feeling like a hypocrite for feeling these kinds of ways, not knowing what to do with these feelings um, and not having anyone really to talk to about it because there's a sense of shame. You know, here I am a pastoral intern and I'm struggling in a way that I shouldn't be struggling. And you don't really have anyone to talk about this with because you're afraid of talking to your family about it. 
because you don't want them to start treating you differently. You don't want to talk to your your boss about it because you know you're supposed to be this spiritual leader. And when you talk to God about it, it seems like He's just not listening. And so there were times I said, "Well, God, if you're not gonna, if you're not going to make me straight, because at that time I was asking God to make me straight, as if that would fix something. If you're not gonna make me straight, at least do me the favor of taking my life, because I won't do it myself. But maybe you would, and put me out of my misery. And I was so angry as day would day after day would go by." And not only would he not give me that release, he just, he just didn't feel there. I couldn't hear him speaking. I was, I didn't even want to talk to him. That's the only time in my life where I actually felt far away from God. That's the only time in my life that I felt that God didn't love me. And through, it's because through that eight-month journey, I learned to, to hear God's voice in his silence. And I learned to understand the kind of torture of soul that Christ went through and how what I went through doesn't even come close to what he went through when he couldn't hear his father's voice. But yet, Jesus still trusted that his father loved him and it caused him to push forward in his crucible. And so from that, I had to kind of push forward in faith, remembering all the times where I did feel God's favor, where I did feel Christ's love for me. And through that situation, through that eight-month journey, I learned to trust God and to know that God is there even when, when it doesn't feel like he's there. And also out of that journey, I learned to be really compassionate, to, to finally be compassionate to other queer people. Up until I went through that eight-month existential crisis, I was very judgmental of queer people. I would not, for instance, I would not have been wearing this shirt with this rainbow flag on it. I would not have identified myself as LGBT+. I would never have gone to a pride parade or anything like that. Because I refused to experience life as a queer person. I refuse to under to go through the struggles that queer people go through. But after going through this crisis of faith, I learned to have compassion, not only for other queer people, but for myself. And from that experience, I learned, and I've been increasingly learning how being a queer person of faith, being a, a Christian queer person is a reality. It is a real thing. It's not an oxymoron, it's my, it's my everyday experience. Build a great, big, large fence, 150 or 100 mile long, put all the lesbians in there, fly over and drop some food. Do the same thing with the queers and the homosexuals. And have that fence electrified till they can't get out. Feed them and, and you know what? In a few years, they'll die out. Wow, okay. Wow, okay, that's, that's, yeah. 
it, it actually amazes me when it amaze it amazes me these pastors or other so-called Christians when they they say these really wicked things about about anybody. I mean, it really betrays the kind of evil spirit they have inside of them while they're trying to say that someone else has an evil spirit in them. I mean, Christ would never, never talk about a, a group of people or anyone like this pastor's talking about them. And yeah, that's mind-blowing. Yeah. That's actually crazy. Wow. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me one bit that it was said, because I've heard stuff like that before, but it's just, yeah, it's every time you hear it, it does baffle me. It like baffles you every time you hear that kind of stuff because it's so just off. It's so patently not Christian that it amazes me that anyone would think that that's right. There's so much there's so much to be said about why these pastors are so wrong in their rhetoric. Yeah, okay, give me a second. I gotta wow. <laughs> the fact that a pastor thinks that it is in any way right to countenance hatred of anybody on earth, any people group, or any person for any reason, demonstrates to me that they don't have the Spirit of God in them. And 
it seems that these pastors have gotten so caught up in their theological discussions about a people group that they don't actually know the people group. If these pastors and other Christians who have these kinds of ideas would actually sit down with other queer people and get to know them, they wouldn't be able to say these kinds of hideous things. I can guarantee you these pastors don't know queer people and how wonderful queer people are. They're just looking at, they're looking at this matter through a very myopic, in a very myopic kind of way. And when you look at people through a lens of sin and treat them like they're these sinners, these outcasts that we have to punish and destroy, there's no way that you're going to be able to bring the healing, the healing that Jesus wants to bring the world. And so these people, so-called Christians, are the chief reason why queer people are leaving the churches and don't think that they can follow Christ. Because those people who claim to be followers of Christ are basically telling them that there's no place for you in the church. There's no place for you in the arms of God. God hates you and I hate you too. This is nothing more, this is like, the, this is the spirit of antichrist, uh, honestly. It's, and it's really sickening. And also, they might be gay, and they're just fighting against it. <laughs> being, a, being, being a celibate or, or single gay Christian can be a thorn in the flesh, but surprisingly, and probably contrary to what a, how a lot of people would probably think of it, the thorn in the flesh for me is not actually being single, you know, forever single, or, you know, or being gay. The real problem is that it, it, it really feels, it, it just feels very lonely. Sometimes. Sometimes it can be very lonely. It, it can be very difficult because people don't understand why we're here or they misrepresent why, you know, you know why, why I choose to be single or why I choose, on, on the one hand, or why I choose to, be, to, to celebrate the fact that I'm gay on the other hand. And it, it can be very lonely. And it's, again, not because I'm single. And it's not because I'm gay, but because of how these two ends of the spectrum treat people like me. The majority of the time when I start feeling sing when I start feeling lonely is when I'm sitting in a church where the pastor gives yet another sermon about why marriage is so great and why marriage is the only way that you're going to get to know Jesus in the best way possible. It's the only way that you're going to be able to find um, social and, and relational intimacy in this life. Like a few weeks ago, I was, I was helping my friend put on his wedding. I'm not a big fan of weddings, as you might imagine. But I was there helping my, wedding, my friend put his wedding on. And I was sitting in church the day before the wedding. 
And the, ser- the, the pastor's sermon very quickly went from whatever he was talking about into this, this, this short um, discussion about how awesome marriage is. And he kept referring to his wife over and over again. And it was just like looking out over the audiences, the, the, you know, looking out over the audience, all these couples start, you know, snuggling next to each other. And, you know, that's, that's one of the most difficult parts one of the most difficult things for side B Christians, you know, single, single gay Christians, is that we don't fit into this marriage idolizing culture. On the one hand, you want to tell them that marriage and having a romantic partner are like the best thing in the world. And that in order for you to know God to the fullest and to really have emotional and social intimacy, you need to get married. But then on the other hand, you also tell them, you tell queer people that you can't get married. So it's basically you're telling queer people you need to commit social, you basically need to live a life of perpetual social and emotional suicide. That's essentially what you're telling them. And, you know, I think what, what, I think that the issue I have, the probably the biggest issue I have with side A and side X is, you know, is mainly the idea that in order for a person to have, to live a, a, soul, a, a an emotionally and spiritually fulfilled life, to live an abundant life, it requires you to be married. I think that that's a patently false idea. The fact that Paul, you know, wrote First uh, Corinthians chapter, you know, chapter seven, where he said, you know, if you can be single, it's for the best. You know, I would prefer that you would be single like me because you can do all these things for the kingdom of God and so forth. And there is a way that I and my singleness have have learned to connect with God that I would not have learned if I were married. But the church doesn't look at the fact that Paul wrote that, and that Paul, the greatest theologian in the Bible, arguably was a single man. And it also glosses over the fact that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, was also single. And, exi- and, and being in a church where we don't recognize the fact that our, our leader was a single man, it kind of, it just really makes it, it makes it kind of difficult sometimes for us to go in church and hear, you know, hear these sermons about marriage and hear all these different seminars about family and about raising kids. And it kind of just puts one group on a pedestal and kind of, you know, knocks us out of the discussion, kind of creates these walls of division, these different groups, and we don't belong there. That's the biggest difficulty that I've had being a single gay Christian. So, I don't know how I'm going to be a pastor in this church. Um, Because, as you can imagine, you know, being gay, just, it just greatly impedes any progress in finding a job. Because of my position on this particular matter, because I... I celebrate the fact that I'm gay and I refuse to live in the closet and not talk about the life that I live. 
it's caused it's caused some difficulties with with my conference and to the point to the point where I don't know when if where I'll be pastoring how describe your relationship with Jesus ah oh. How to describe my, my relationship with Jesus? Jesus is the first thing I think about in the morning and the last thing I think about. He is my best friend. He is the reason I'm alive. He is my whole world. My world would fall apart. It would fragment into a million pieces if I didn't have Jesus there holding my life together. I quite literally cannot imagine even a hypothetical world in which Jesus wasn't in my life. He is absolutely everything to me. Thank you for listening. This is a brand new podcast. We really appreciate it. What we hope to do is to have bi-weekly stories and conversations just like this. So if you like the idea of having a podcast like that, we want to invite you to subscribe. And also, if you liked this episode, we want to invite you to write a review. Those definitely do help. Thank you once again for listening. And until next time, two weeks from now, God bless.